repeat the revolution, times of change. Bear witness as we break free from times of chains. Minds of pain, the devil tormented to the minds insane. Rise again from the ashes, fall and rise to fame. Eyes of pain burn circles through the fabric of life. On average night, the satellites be watching the block. They got us caged in space to the dollars and clocks. Got a gang called the cops that got us all locked. We fly a burning flag, democratic process engulfed in flames. Where justice is supplied, man, begging for your change. And nothing's guaranteed but taxes and debt. You get both if you pay the crash of passenger jet. Don't make sense how we go broke waiting on paychecks. Stomach pain, sweat to maintain just to pay rent. Poor man, indigenous to dead enslavement. Righteous man, protest the dead upon the pavement. The struggle got me stressed. Weight on my chest, feel like a lead vest. When can I sleep? When can I let my head rest? Welcome back to Black Hoodie Alchemy, folks. As always, I am your host, Anthony Tyler. Thanks for tuning in. Um, I got another special guest sitting down with me digitally. Um, I have some quick announcements and uh, you know some introductions. Uh, so we will get him in on the mix here shortly, but I did want to announce him. He's uh, He's a, been a, a listener and A1 from day one, uh, Mr. Chris Fiato. He's a real champ. Um, uh, he, and, and he has quite a bit to say, um, you know, he's, we've gotten to know each other very well over the course of just putting out this show, you know, as I, I've gotten to know a lot of different people, whether it be guests on the show better, you know, even if I already knew them or listeners reaching out, uh, Chris has been someone in specific though, that has, uh, he just, first of all, you, uh, I appreciate you listening the whole time and you are someone I can safely say, uh, you know, gets what I am trying to put across here. Cause it's not, it's not a show that's about me. It's a show that's about a mentality, you know, the whole, without like over philosophizing or being pretentious here, uh, you know, I'm not like trying to take it too seriously, but I put thought into the things that I do and the whole, the whole black hoodie motif, other than just being like a hip hop and punk and metal uh, culture references. I mean, it's a, to think about it like this. You see a, like a, a group of dudes in black hoodies on the street. You're going to walk the other way just in case. So like a black hoodie is kind of that uh, scumbag, street scumbag archetype. And, you know, Chris and I um, are, you know, we've uh, done many different things in our lives. You know, a lot of this show, we're going to talk about addiction and the uh, the therapeutic, uh, the spiritual process for for lack of a more elaborate term, which we'll get into. Um, And, you know, how that's sort of been a part of our black hoodie alchemy, if you will. And uh, so, Chris, uh, first of all, I got some quotes here and stuff, but uh, how are you doing today, man? I'm I'm doing real well, man. Excited Excited to be here talking to you. And hello, everybody out there in the black hoodie alchemy crew. Yeah, um, and I should also say, uh, this is the second listener that we've had on. Um, I do have another one coming on soon. If you're a listener and want to be on the show, um, feel free to reach out. I'm not going to say yes to everybody. I'll say that right now. And it's not a personal thing. I'm just, you know, it's my show. I'm very OCD about it in certain ways. And, you know, if uh, I want to talk about the specific things that I'm jiving with at the moment, um, but definitely feel free to reach out. 
Um, in other news, real quick, go get some merch. Uh, I got links in the show description, you know, hoodies and all that jazz. Uh, you can also, I wanted to make a, a little public service announcement. Episode 66 was the science and philosophy of horror. Uh, the only Halloween specific episode I'm doing, although I encourage you to listen to it outside of the season uh, due to a glitch. Uh, you know, long story short, that episode got bumped from 66 to 63. So I'm sure a lot of you missed it. Um, feel free to go check that out. Wanted to give a little little bump there. Um, other than that, Let's get into this a little bit. Um, so we talked about, uh, before we were recording, we talked about uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, among other things. Someone that uh, you and I are both very familiar with. I don't think we could really have a conversation about addiction and the spiritual process without bringing him up. And I'd be surprised if you weren't familiar with his name as a listener of this show. I have brought him up a couple times before anyway. Uh, but he is a doctor. He's pretty old at this point he's a vet in the game um from vancouver canada a physician that's done a lot of different like you know uh, helping give birth and um you know family doctor but a lot of his career the majority of it it seems has been working with drug addicts in the uh the the downtown east side of vancouver mostly dealing with heroin and opiates but not exclusively and so he has a lot to say um, about the addiction process in a holistic sense, um, in a psychological sense that is really just mapping out the the latest and basic science in the matter, but is still such a nuanced take. And and uh, it's a shame that it's such a nuanced take, um, which highlights some of the issues with with uh, modern medicine today. But uh, he's also done a lot of work with, what's the best way to put it? Not just um, ayahuasca and drug rehabilitation, but um, furthering the legality process with it all, uh, particularly in Canada. So he's a really interesting guy. Um, and before I toss this over to Chris, because I want to hear Chris about, um, you know, you, you get as personal as you like. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Um, what got you into you know, the, this kind of alchemical mindset, you know, some of uh, the, the things you're interested in and the path you've been on, um, you know, feel free to open up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So I got this, I'll put this link in the show notes as well. This is several paragraphs, but I think it's, uh, it, it is impressive how much Gabor Mate tends to pack into uh, um, such a small space. So here we go. Um, we tend to assume that what is normal is also healthy and natural. And in a certain sense, that's true. And at least in the medical sense, it is. So as I've often said, what is normal in terms of blood pressure or temperature or blood acidity, the normal range is also what is healthy and natural. And outside of the normal range, life is threatened or even eliminated. Um, now in society, what we used to do, we make the assumption that it's also healthy and natural. And the argument I'm making is that in today's culture, what we consider to be normal in the sense that what we're used to uh, is neither healthy or natural. It, in fact, undermines healthy or health and promotes a disease so that illness itself, whether of mind or body, is in many cases a normal response to abnormal circumstances. 
So a phrase like the myth of normal means, first of all, that what we consider to be the norm is neither healthy nor natural. Uh, in fact, quite the opposite, uh, number one. Number two, what we consider abnormal in terms of illness is often a normal response to unhealthy circumstances. Um, when I say or when we say I have depression or I have ADHD or I have multiple sclerosis or rheumatoid arthritis, we're also making an assumption. We're making the assumption implicitly that there is this thing called rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis or MS or depression. Then there's an entity called me. And this entity is that entity, but they're separate and they have a life of their own. So that I have a so that I have a life of my own, and multiple sclerosis has got a certain prognosis that's going to go this way or that way, regardless of what happens with me. And what I'm suggesting here, what we recognize as illness, represents a process that reflects and manifests life and conception onwards, and that things have happened to me emotionally, psychologically, socially, relationally. Um, they all have a huge impact on my physiology. So that by the time I get asthma or by the time I get arthritis, a whole lot of things have happened in my life. And that identified disease is simply the manifestation, the endpoint of a long-term process. So that means disease is not a thing. It's not an entity that you know we're in a, a process with. It is a process in and of itself. If that's the case, then how I live my life may have significant impact on that process. And that gives me a whole lot of agency to deal with that particular problem and challenge uh, what the disease represents. I've often had people come up to me with a chronic illness of mind or body uh, or addictions. They say, well, I didn't have it so bad. Yeah, my parents yelled at me, but I didn't starve. I wasn't beaten. I wasn't sexually abused. And what I say to them is, imagine a five-year-old child coming to you and saying, I'm scared because my parents are yelling at me all the time and I feel alone and threatened. Would you say to that five-year-old, oh kid, it can't be so bad. Think of all the other children that are starving and uh, living in more trying conditions. You would never do that. So why would you do it to yourself? In other words, that, that dismissal of one's own suffering itself is an inventory of trauma, which results in the dismissals and a lack of respect and honoring of one's own suffering. And that's a very common dynamic that I see. And so I'm always insisting on self-compassion that people honor their suffering, not by comparing it to somebody else's and saying that they suffered more, but by simply getting the degree to which they suffered and what impact that had on them. There needs to be a deep emotional working through, which can take many forms or many pathways, but essentially it's deep, painful, and very challenging emotional work. And it's in layers and layers and layers, because as the Buddha pointed out, we have what we call our habit energies, that even when we uh, work something through, these habits are so deeply ingrained in our nervous system, in our brains, in our bodies, that they keep reasserting themselves when the conditions conduce to that. When I'm distraught and my body's perturbed and there's tension inside me, and I've got this sense of despondence and hopelessness, the sooner I realize that this has got uh, nothing to do with the present, but this is what I've been carrying all my life, that awareness then allows me to be with that pain and to observe it compassionately rather than just to run away from it or blame it on uh, another person. Uh, it's a sense of noble suffering.
So I think that uh, that is a fantastic starting point. A lot of um, a lot of meat to sink our teeth into. Uh, Chris, where would you like to take that? And like I said, uh, definitely take this uh, opportunity to tell us about yourselves a little bit as well. All right. Well, first off, I will agree that was a great, <clears throat> great little excerpt for you to select um, as it kind of <laughs> a few things, especially towards the end there made, made me think of just uh, currently kind of some of the things I'm working through and focusing on. Um, but yeah, likewise. Glad, yeah. So, you know, i glad we're on we're on the same page and I'm glad we, uh, you know, waited to do do this talk when we did, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm Chris Fiato. Um, I, uh, I'm just, I'm just a dude. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, play music. Um, kind of, I guess a big, uh, one of the focal points this talk's going to focus around is addiction. Um, and not that this identifies my, my character defines my character, but I've, uh, struggled with opiate addiction for half my life. Um, so 16 years. Um, I just turned 33 and kind of just addiction in general, as far back as I can remember. I mean, it's been in, you know, my parents were both addicts, you know, I think back to even my, my childhood and, and things even as simple as, uh, like used to suck my thumb when I was a little kid. And that was an addiction too, because I remember being, I don't know, like six, seven years old and like still doing it. And knowing that I'm like, I'm too old to be doing this, but I cannot, I cannot seem to, uh, <laughs> to stop this. So I, I remember doing things like, uh, I would soak my thumb in lemon juice to try oh, it dissuade <laughs> myself from wanting to, to suck my thumb. But that just made me acquire a taste for lemon juice. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, just, uh. So, you know, that that's one thing I, I think back to a lot just because it's like, man, I uh, just those addictive circuits were, you know, kind of ingrained very early on. Um, yeah, I can relate to that. And uh, for anybody that doesn't know, um, I've I've always been pretty open about it, um, especially in certain episodes when it comes up. Um, I've been a substance user, you know, like I'm I'm a stoner, essentially um, got my medical cannabis card and uh in the past, I've definitely been a substance abuser of, uh, you know, just a lot of different things. And uh, in particular, I, for years in high school, um, I had prescriptions for benzos and antidepressants. And, you know, by the time I had graduated, I realized what a benzo even was, honestly, and uh, just kind of, you know, worked from there. I, I stupidly, you know, worked out for me, but I, I quit cold turkey, which I would not uh, generally recommend you do. So anyway, I can, uh, I can definitely relate to everything you're saying for sure. Yeah, dude. And, and you mentioned that, that cold turkey aspect in the text the other day. I'm like, whoo. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a, a risque move, but like <laughs> you're saying, especially if you know, you don't really have an awareness of, you know, that and alcohol, benzos and alcohol being two of the only the only two that I'm aware of where the withdrawals themselves can actually, you know, lead to death. Just right. Hey, know, th th that's an interesting thing too, because people say heroin, but it's really it's, it's, with, with benzos and alcohol, it's the actual lack of the chemical that will kill you. Right. And with heroin, it is just the, the withdrawal symptoms itself that could send your body into shock and kill you. Is that the case? 
Yeah, yeah. As far as I understand it, the with the opiates, heroin, whatever you want to call it, can lead to further complications. But right, yeah, right. as the same with the alcohol and, and benzodiazepines. I I don't know if it's just a lack of that that can, or what what aspect of that that can lead to to death. But I have uh, heard doctors differentiate that though. I can't remember what it is exactly. I'm not a doctor, but there's some interesting food for thought there. In terms yeah, of withdrawals and things. Absolutely, man. And like, you know, with, with opiate and opioid withdrawal, um, yeah, you know, it's absolute hell. And and again, the you know, what it puts your body through itself can lead to further complications that um, you know, can can lead to you dying. And also I guess if I should say, since this is gonna be, you know, we're gonna be talking about drugs and medicines um a lot in this episode i don't want any of this to sound like i'm promoting drug use you know i think that kind of goes without saying i know you're aware of that but for anyone listening um you know i don't mean any of this (laughs) what we may talk about to sound as a as a glorification of uh you know drug use and um i I guess another thing i've been kind of thinking about a lot lately is the differentiating between okay i'm using drugs versus i'm using a medicine and i guess a good example of that would be um like you're saying i'm a, I'm a marijuana user um and i'm definitely uh an advocate for psychedelics responsible psychedelic use entheogenic use especially in a ritualistic and medicinal setting and i guess kind of you know, when I, you know, when I use psilocybin, like I don't think of it in terms of, you know, same with marijuana. I don't think of it in terms of, oh, I'm getting, let's get high. I'm doing drugs. Like <clears throat> when I, when I trip, I, I actually, I, it's a inside joke to myself. I call it, I'm going to church. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. That's Amen. my code, code word for that. But um, just the reframing of, oh, I'm getting high versus, oh, I'm taking, you know, this is medicine. This is, I, there's an intent behind this. There's a purpose to what I'm doing rather than just going to, you know, veg out and listen to Pink Floyd for the next five hours or some crap, you know? Right. Because uh, uh, with the psychedelics, especially, I've been, you know, I I remember I, I ate my first eighth of mushrooms. When I was 13 years old. Ooh. Somehow I'll never forget that day. Like very detailed by myself too. Wow. <laughs> But yeah, there's the uh, you know there's that persistence. Growing up in Massachusetts, eh? Yes, sir, dude. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Western. So a lot of people, I feel like when they they think of Massachusetts, they think, oh, you got Boston, you got the Eastern Boston, Massachusetts, and then just <laughs> like, you know, there's no conception of what the rest of Massachusetts is farmland. But Western Massachusetts, where I grew up, Northampton, Massachusetts, is actually a pretty fairly well known known town um it's very uh it's i think it's still probably i know it was long considered like the lesbian capital of the u.s (laughs) Uh, so it's a very gay friendly area um but the town i grew up in east hampton there's this little mountain overlooking it called mount mount tom but uh so the dr seuss is actually uh, one of one of the claim to fames of this region is Dr. Seuss is from this area. And uh, no shit, that's cool. Yeah, dude. So Mount Tom, this it's it's more of a glorified hill than a mountain. It's it's really not that big. But 
that was it's always said to um like the the local lore is that was the inspiration for uh the mountain that the grinch lived at and oh, East Hampton, the town i grew up in is the inspiration for whoville um wow so yeah dude <laughs> that's fucking <laughs> With, really cool man that's really yeah, cool it's a, it's a really strange little area man there's actually been a lot of cool stuff that's come out of this area like uh creators of the ninja turtles from northampton oh wow uh, yeah a lot of a lot of cool music a lot of great herb lots of great herb up here <laughs> nice um but yeah uh so yeah you know you think think of massachusetts yeah you got you got boston you got eastern mass but western mass down in the valley it's a pretty strange weird little area um definitely an, an interesting place to grow up and it took me moving away to florida about 10 years ago to realize how much i actually appreciate this area nothing against florida but uh you know just it's a wild away. place it sure it sure is man yeah, and yeah yeah you know it was wasn't bad down there just it made me realize like wow this is uh i took this you know western mass 413 for granted for sure but i think that's probably pretty common with people who grow up in an area and that's you know you don't travel much You're like this place sucks you know yeah um, yeah i can definitely relate to that um, say you grew up in alaska right so imagine you know that isolation and desolation Oh yeah, all too well. Um, that's part of why I'm in uh, a beach area now. Um, right near the beach, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's uh, you know, in Alaska, you either you either get into art or you know, you're an outdoorsman, like snow machining and skiing and hunting, or you're just doing drugs and fucking because there are <laughs> there are so few options, especially deep into the winter and. Uh, yeah, so I mean that's why it's a lot of why I why I am who I am and that's a lot of why I you can't understand seasonal depression until you've been to a place that that will really draw it out of you. I've seen I've seen the toughest grizzliest dudes have to move away from Alaska because the seasonal depression was fucking with them so bad. And uh it's just a weird thing that happens and um I am lucky, basically, long story short, that I acquired a taste for weed and lived in a place where you could find really good weed fairly easily. Um, otherwise, I would have done more than just dabble in harder stuff. Um, and yeah, because I've definitely been weaker at times. But uh, yeah, the the whole isolation thing, um, I definitely, I definitely feel that. And I was thinking about this, you know. I think this plays a lot into addiction. Um, we're in the winter season now and there's a, people wonder why uh, there's so much, there, it just seems to be a depressing time of year. Like it's either you're on top of the world and everything's going right for the holiday season, or it just seems to be a time of, of um, hardened introspection, you know, like some stiff drinks and just passing the time somehow. And, staring at the fire type situation. Um, and, you know, I think uh, it's in today's society, it's important to remember where we came from and the, the traditions that, that like not only shaped us psychologically, but evolutionarily as well. And the whole idea of, you know, the summertime was you, you 
you're working out in the fields, you are preparing for the hibernation of winter for you're doing everything you can't do in the winter and prepping because if you don't prep, then you're going to die, Um, Mm -hmm. especially the harsher the winter is. And in today's society, there is still that angle and people still have to work brutally hard just to put food on the table. So it's not like it's less hands-on, um, uh, you know, in, in most cases, but first and foremost, there's this, there's this social aspect. Like you can't even keep a job most of the time, unless you can have good relations with your coworkers and things like that. So we, we have this social survival aspect to it all. And, and I've noticed in my life, um, you know, even socially, you reap what you sow. And in that winter time, when things come, it's sort of like winter is the prolonged version, especially when it's at its darkest, um, of that like twilight right before you're trying to fall asleep, but you can't quite yet. And you're just thinking about all the shit that you've done wrong lately. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And uh, especially when you mix drugs into it all, um, it can be a real downward spiral. But as I was talking about in the episode on um, like the philosophy of horror and the science of it, um, there really are fundamental mechanisms at play dealing with trauma and catharsis and something like horror and the the traumatic, the the states of mind that we experience dealing with trauma, whether it be in the moment or after the fact when it haunts us, so to speak, um, it can put us in states, especially if you think of like flashbacks to PTSD, these are powerful um, instances. And neurologically, even though they're opposite ends of the spectrum, two different sides of one coin, neurologically, the the malleability they give to our brains, the impressionability, like the states they put us into, it's very similar to psychedelics, to trance states, to states of catharsis, you know, there. So it's an often overlooked point that even though those are some of the most toughest circumstances, it's not a cliche to try and wrap your head around and understand the fact that those are the times that can really make or break you. You know, and those are the times that have a lot of power if you choose to use it. Absolutely, man. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I feel like it takes quite a few personal experiences of going through that to even understand that these things can be some, you know, used as a tool rather than just like something you're stuck in experiencing. And like, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, seasonal depression and stuff like um in in new england you know one thing i always used to hate is like the typical cl- cliche new englander joke is you know they're we're always bitching about the weather like <laughs> but, but we get a little bit of each season and i feel like i've at this point something i think about a lot i'm like i feel like that's kind of important um and can be u- utilized if you can frame it like that because in a sense it's like you know, the seasons are in a, in a way an externalization of our internal emotional process, like the winter time, like, you know, that's the, that's the depression time. That's the introspection time. You know, it's taken, it's taken me many, many, uh, cold, bitter, uh, depressed winter seasons to realize that, okay, there's a purpose for this there, 
or, or there can be if, if you choose to, you know, look at it like that. Um, you know, yeah, it's a, you know, it's kind of a gloomy, gloomy period. Um, no matter how you, I mean, some people do love winter time. I've never been like a, a winter sports type of person. So, you know, I always mean lock, lock myself indoors, but, um, I've, yeah, that's why I'm a writer. Yeah, dude, yeah, exactly, man. Like, I'm no different from the fiends. 
lights on the avenue. Well, how to do, everybody? It's your good old friend Tippy Patson here from the the League of Extraordinary Gents and. Uh, today I have a special message for you. Uh, I'm trying to petition uh, to get into the ears of uh, NFL quarterback Aaron Rodgers. You see, uh, I, I got thinking recently, and y'all remember how Justin Bieber had that really cool shirtless pastor that was always like hanging out with him and like vanquishing his spiritual foes, and and you know, to, so to Aaron Rodgers, I won't be that for you. You know, I could be your hot, young, shirtless pastor, but like, not in a gay way, but like in a, in like a, like a spiritual Rambo sort of way. Yeah, and, uh, and because I understand that, you know, some time back, you, you, you done took some ayahuasca in Peru, and it kind of messed your game up, uh, because you met Mother Ayahuasca, but you also met the hat man, Aaron Rodgers, and, and he's been done scaring you on the football field. You know, I got some quotes here, uh, like uh, Aaron Rodgers, you, you were done saying like, he will sometimes appear in the distance, usually veiled by darkness, holding the corpse of a dead rabbit and sometimes a blade. I just kept throwing the ball to the hat man and he was always wide open, floating high above the rest of the players and it was so scary I just had to do it. And you know, teammates done been quoting you saying that uh, you got lights flickering on and off in the in in, in the locker rooms, and you, you done scared to be alone out there. So please, Aaron, I beg you, let me Tippy Patson help you out there, buddy. I could show you the Ford's way. Uh, I could get your wrestling gators out to here in the Everglades, you know, and we'll get you throwing a tight spiral to that uh, that hat man. And, uh, and and for in in dang on no time, buddy. So come on, Aaron Rodgers, let Tippy Patson be your spiritual mentor. And you know that's it for now, folks. Help me get help me get in the ear of good old Aaron. All right, take it easy. Hello, there, everybody. Um, you by Dobius Jefferson Tillam Slinger. Uh, that's my code name around here. I also go by Steve Buscemi and a whole lot of other things. Uh, it recently, you know, I, I recently caught a little bit of flack because I was really high and uh, I called it to uh, Joseph Rupert's Lighting the Void uh, radio station asking for laundromat and drug money. Um, and since then, many people have said that... Uh, um, I maybe should not, if I'm doing that, maybe I should not be spending so much money on drugs. Even though I explained to them that when you ship yourselves overseas and back in a crate, you need drugs to do to pass the time. <clears throat> well, uh, I am, I'm sober now and a little bit skinnier. And it's all thanks to Tippy Patson's Rainbow Body Weight Loss Program. Uh, it's a fantastic product that doesn't even require portion control or calorie counting. All you do is smoke this Colombian cocaine paste named Basuco, uh, which is basically a cocaine mix with uh, boda oil and brick dust. But if you smoke enough of this stuff, you achieve a rainbow body state of existence and you sweat a lot of it off. And uh, it works like a charm and I'm living proof. Jefferson T, baby. So sign up today um, because uh, 
uh, you know, the sober living is the way to go. And I understand, you know, I'm sorry to Joseph Rupert. I understand, you know, I'm sorry to Joseph Rupert for calling in. Um, and, you know, you got your new and improved, fresh, clean, so fresh and so clean Jefferson T. All right. Uh, you cats take it easy out there. Greetings, Protendo. It is I, Muscle Tornado, and, you know, I've got some news that makes my heart a bit heavy. Uh, you know, I'm Hulk, Hulkster, give me strength. Um, you know, firstly, you may have heard that our friend Bayou Jones went missing overseas, and then our, our cosmic ghost pirate has been uh, accidentally recently stuck into this heavy wind-up television set. Uh, and our friend Silverback Commando recently ran out of LSD after a years-long bender and uh, has fallen into an existential crisis in his sobriety. Well, Silverback seems to have hitchhiked out of here. He's gone. And this morning, I accidentally changed the channel on this shitty wind-up television set. And now I can't find my cosmic ghost pirate anywhere. And on top of that... Uh, as some of you may know, I've lost my hand and my eye lately, so I have a pretty sweet hook and eye patch, but I'm tired of everything being taken away from me, Broseph. Hulkster, give me strength. Vin D for life, baby. Come on. We, uh, what do I need to do? Um, you know, just maybe, uh, maybe I really am transforming into a pirate, um, but... You know, whatever. Something's got to give, right? Um, in the meantime, I'm just uh, just gonna keep. You know, I, I've I've got plenty of pixie sticks, so. I... <laughs> oh God. Well, we'll just uh, you know cross the bridges as we get there, right? Uh, <laughs> Ooh, Muscle Tornado is over and out. talking about it and also in the, the excerpt you read in the beginning about you know kind of disease and how that can be you know like something like arthritis can uh, be a manifestation of an amalgamation of uh, events and processes throughout your whole life and um the last couple years i've had some memories start to bleed back through from like my childhood of stuff that uh, very, very traumatic, you know, some, some sexual abuse and stuff like that. But in the last couple of years, I've been, it's been a very slow process and like the way the memories kind of have bled back through have been also a, a very slow drawn out process, but I think it, it's kind of important because some of this, these things, if you were to get a, 
uh, for lack of a better term, a complete download of the full picture at once. It could be a kind of an overload. Um, but in terms of something like that, uh, you know, a lot of people have been, um, you know, have sexual abuse trauma just or just a, abuse in general from their childhood. And like a lot of these things, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, you look at like rape statistics in the US. It is uh I don't like have them memorized, but it is it is so fucking sad how common it is for a young woman to be raped these days. It it it's heartbreaking, man, and it's, you know, it's it's hard to look at and I, you know, I understand why people, you know, you try and talk about these things with people and uh you can like feel the person cringe. And it's like, yeah, no one wants, these are really ugly sides of life, but they're, yeah. they're very real parts of reality. And, and we, have to, the, we have to talk about them in order to integrate them. Otherwise they just become shadows that, um, not to make a pun or something, but to, you know, they will, will overshadow you. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely, man. And, and I kind of guess that's where I'm going with this is like, you know, when you're, you know, if you get raped molested as a kid especially like the you know the, the the mental mechanisms of dissociating to protect yourself from it like so so something like that you know say say i was four or five years old i don't have an exact age but my whole life that was something that was inside of me buried that was you know things like that when I, I feel like potentially can lend to addictive tendencies or various forms of disease or whatever um, Big time. And if you're not aware of these things, there's no way you can, you know, start to integrate them. But Big time. I feel like I feel like there's a, you know, you're if you're in tune, I don't if if you're in tune with yourself, I feel like um, you know, your your mind will reveal what it needs to at the proper time. And uh yeah, but it's you know, ever since I've been you know, I've become aware of these things. And like, I didn't even talk about it for a couple of years because it's like, shit, is this just in my head? Like, am I just, you know, just that, that false memory shit, but it's like one, why, why the hell would anybody want to imagine these things happening to them? You know? Um, yeah. And it's also not like you had a therapist sitting with you being like, uh, so, so like, like first question being like, so what kinds of, uh, of Satanists were touching you, you know, like, <laughs> it, 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 like, uh, the full on suggestibility of so many of those, like full on, like big time false memory cases, like UFOs or Satanists, like it was, it was being fed from the beginning. So they yeah. certain things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, this, yeah, this was, uh, <clears throat> it, it was actually, um, probably 10 years ago i remember when i started kind of digging down some of the more conspiratorial rabbit holes because uh i never really had computers growing up i was like pretty late to the game of like you know <laughs> delve it like i would always go to friends house and you know we would i would we'd use their computers and look up depraved fucked up shit but uh <clears throat> on my own started like, digging down the uh certain rabbit holes and i remember when i like started to stumble across some of the uh you know sexual abuse things the, the child abuse human trafficking things i had this very deep like kind of existential crisis reaction to it to the point where i like i like stepped back from the internet for like seven eight months and i was just like 
you know, it's, it's something that you're kind of aware of as, as a reality. But once I really started to unravel, like and go down this, these holes a little more, I'm like, it like really, it woke something up inside of me and it wasn't an immediate associate. Like I didn't, I still didn't start to have these bleed throughs for another couple of years, but it made me when over these last few years of trying starting to process these things, like I look back to that time of digging down that specific hole and that reaction that I had where it was like, it broke something inside of me. I was like, it was one of those moments where, um, kind of that solipsistic veil was shattered where I'm like, Oh, just because I could not fathom doing stuff like this to another human doesn't mean there aren't, a, uh, a large number of people out there who, you know, do have, uh, some, some evil, evil desires and tendencies embedded in them and would do these things to people. Um, it was just kind of one of, one of those really like moments of like complete naivete. Um, and yeah, it's just, <laughs> I, uh, I think, uh, I think you're saying some stuff that, um, is I, I I think a lot of people would be able to relate to. Um, I don't know if I've ever really heard anyone touch on it in that way before, but I think I think you you have your finger on the pulse of something just in general with the idea of um a lot of people like if you just look at the the sort of recent historical timeline, like conspiracy theory started to really ramp up. And even in the past, you look at satanic panic and things, they have ramped up um, when children get involved. And before I go any further, I also want to say for anyone that isn't familiar with the show, I'm not saying that none of this shit happens. You know, we know we know Epstein. We know that there's even weird occult stuff that goes on. I'm just, That's you know, true. yeah, there's there's a there's there is also false memory and satanic panic and nothing's cut and dry. You got to sift through it all. So um, that point being said, the shit really hit the fan. Like soccer moms started losing their minds. And it wasn't just like people like you and I or, and whoever else like dig in on, on forums, you know, and, and it's when the kids got involved and that is such a, just a fucking horrific thing to wrap your head around to even have to, entertain the possibility that it's true that there are elites involved in human trafficking um and the fact that we just talked about how uh shockingly prevalent these like sexual assault assault statistics are no wonder it uh it it strikes people to their core when they start to dig into these things and they start to you know no wonder and I don't support the whole QAnon angle at all but just trying to have some so shows people some grace. So I try to understand how people got duped. No wonder people got sucked into that when there's, you know, they're dealing with their own abuse. They're trying to save their own kids and they see things like Epstein out there. And then, you know, if you're not smart enough or you don't have critical thinking and you're just thinking you're just dealing with your emotions, then you get sucked into QAnon and shit like that. Um, and yeah, so yeah, thought provoking yeah. stuff there, man. People can be very all or nothing. And I feel like something like QAnon is a great um, means of uh, or a great example of what could potentially be a PSYOP because yeah. 
I, I never really delved into it just because, uh, you know, from the get go, I'm like, this is a, this is a distraction. But to say that it's, you know, none of the stuff that was brought up in it is is true is, would be, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But it's, uh, I feel like that was a good a good psyop to, you know, make, you know, make a lot of people group it all together and be like this, this human trafficking, this children stuff, that's, that's both. That's not real. That's QAnon. That's QAnon. That's no, I completely agree. Grouped into one label. Um, and again, like I get, it, you know, I get it. Cause I experienced it myself. Like no one wants to, it's not an enjoyable topic to, to ponder upon, but something that I, I consider is like, you know, the victims of any of these, like, you know, especially I'm talking like human, human trafficking, sexual abuse, the victims didn't have a say in the matter. So I feel like once we become aware of it, why should we have a choice to ignore it? You know, these people didn't have an option. They didn't, they didn't have, (laughs) you know, so it's, it's, uh, that's something I, I, I thought a lot about that made me kind of get, gave me the, the strength to, uh, you know, look into it more, you know, as objectively as possible, which, you know, that's also why I feel like my, my approach with it and the way I try and, well, I'll talk about it to people. Like it's, I have a, I have a good hearted intention behind it. Um, but I, you know, I guess all of this to, you know, we started talking about, you know, addiction and drugs and stuff. And I kind of guess I shifted over to this because it's good to dive into trauma a little bit. Yeah, because I, I feel like, you know, especially, um, you know, talking to uh, Gabor Mate, like, and he talks about, you know, how much addiction is related to traumas. And, you know, it's been an interesting process of dis- self-discovery and kind of coming to understand who I am and why I, I am and might be, you know, certain traits of myself, why that why I am uh you know the, why why we why we turn out the way that we do and the you know the traumas like that um especially you know also being raised by addicts like you know that shit it was just always kind of normal to me um you know i was using drugs with my parents when i was 13 14 years old like um, damn i feel you yeah dude like i remember i would get mushrooms for my parents when i was a kid like um but uh wow yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and again, it's not a glorification, but that was just, that's, that was my reality. That was my childhood. Um, I guess where I'm trying to go with all this, and the, the, the traumas and in, in relation to addiction, the last couple years of dredging this, this shit up, this sexual abuse shit up, the picture kind of filling itself in more over the years, the more I've figured out, it's kind of been a weird, this weird, like, tug of war battle internally to with, with my addiction especially because it's like okay i'm trying to get to the root of my addiction but the more you dig in and the more you kind of discover while trying to get to the root of this problem really fucks you up so it's this you know again it, it's with everything in life it's it's a balance but it's a very um it's a balancing act that you, there aren't a lot of people that you can go to answers for. And even with people who have dealt with a very similar experience, like, you know, we, we can all relate through our pain and stuff and various pains, similar pains, but 
the you you touched on this in the beginning. I, I don't know if it was in the excerpt you read, but um, you know, everyone's everyone's suffering, and the way that we suffer is is very individual. Um, and you know, uh, I I undermine my own suffering and my own traumas a lot, and have over the last few years. But more recently, I've been able to find some more compassion for for myself and try to give myself a little more credit and leniency and you know with some of the things I have difficulties with and you know having slip ups and relapses um you know I I cuz cuz I I think so many times to myself when I'm you know going back over my childhood and uh the way I was raised I'm like yeah well you know, so many people have it way worse. Like I didn't have it that bad. Like it could always be worse. It's like, yeah, it could, but that's undermining again, kind of undermining my own situation and, uh, kind of working against myself by thinking like that, you know? So, um, I've always been very hard on myself, my own harshest critic. Um, I'm a Virgo. That's, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not huge, hugely uh, knowledgeable with astrology, but the last couple of years, the little bit that I have learned has been immensely, it's very intriguing. And I've, I've been able to, um, take a lot from it. And, uh, again, that's with a barely scratching the surface level knowledge of it. So yeah, yeah. the, uh, astrology as the philosophy of astronomy is, uh, it continues to be interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't know where all I stand on astrology, but I know that there is merit to it. I just don't. I I just also know that there's a lot of bullshit to it as well. Uh, we're gonna get some astrologers on the show here at some point, though. Um, but you know, I I think I'll go ahead and reread these small bits here. Um, because these are the ones that stuck out to me the most, and you you ended up bringing them up in your reiteration. So. Yeah, I think I, I think it's well worth it. Um, I often have people come to me with a chronic illness of mind or body or addictions, and they say, well, I didn't have it so bad. Yeah, my parents yelled at me, but I didn't starve. I wasn't beaten. I wasn't abused um, or sexually abused. And what I say to, to them is, imagine a five-year-old child coming home to you and saying, I'm scared because my parents are yelling at me all the time, and I feel alone and threatened. Uh, would you tell the five-year-old, oh, kid, it can't be so bad? You know, you would never do that. Um, there needs to be a deep emotional working through, which can take many forms or many pathways, but essentially it's deep, painful, and very challenging emotional work. And in its layers and layers and layers, uh, and it's in layers and layers and layers, because as the Buddha pointed out, we have what he called our habit energies, that even when we work something through, these habits are so deeply ingrained in our nervous system, in our brains, in our bodies, that they keep reasserting themselves when the conditions conduce to that. Um, when I'm distraught and when my body's perturbed and there's tension inside me and I've got this sense of despondence and hopelessness, the sooner I realize that this has got nothing to do with the present, but this is what I've been carrying all my life. That awareness then allows me to be with that pain and to observe it compassionately rather than just run away from it or blame it on another person. Um, you know, a, a few things I'd like to say. As they were coming, they were coming up as uh, as I was listening to you there. Um, firstly, 
I think it's um, always important to stress that relapse, when it comes to recovery, it doesn't mean that you failed. You know, there it is an ongoing process, and it harkens to what you know Mate was just talking about there. Um, and I think the the best indicator in a recovery process is, you know, firstly, as they say, you know, just one day at a time, but also. How quickly do you bounce back from the relapse? I think that's the quickest indicator. If you, you know, because there are so many people that give up and who can blame them? You look at all the trauma that people have experienced throughout their lives. Um, who are we to really say that they should be sober per se? You know, um, my stance on drugs has always been I advocate sobriety, but if you can't be sober, then you should find a good alternative like you know cannabis or something like that um you know maybe even it's just a little more of a slippery slope and maybe even some kratom or something like that but ultimately um you know if you if if you've just lived a fucked up life and you have a lot of trauma and you are working a job and paying your bills and you're just enjoying heroin because that's the thing that gets you through the day. I'm not going to tell you to stop. Like, it, you know, it's, it's one thing if, you know, you don't want to see your family go through it necessarily uh, because you might feel like you have more of a responsibility to your family, but I'm going to advocate someone get help every step of the way. But if they're telling me, you know, just, this is this is what gets me through then it life is fucking hard enough you know whatever it takes to get you through if you are being a productive member of society and you're not stealing for your heroin and you're being responsible enough to not overdose and know what you're doing blah 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 all that stuff but so but that's why you know i advocate you know psychedelics and things like cannabis because i am the first one to admit that life, you know, on top of just the medical reasons I use it, I've got chronic stomach issues that run in the family and things. Life is fucking hard enough. So I don't think there's anything wrong with using chemicals to get you by. It's you need to understand the sacramental quality. You need to understand why you're using it. Don't lie to yourself about why you're using it. And if you are using something, you know, because fuck it, people use, they, they have daily prescriptions for Adderall for for benzos for all this shit and and you can't fucking smoke some weed or uh or uh you know even take some kratom for that matter because kratom is more of a a slippery slope there's a lot of people who are who are advocates for it and a lot of people who say fuck that still because it can be addictive but it's a coffee plant that has uh you know acts on the receptors similar to an opioid um and it can addict you but it helps a lot of people get off heroin and other drugs and fuck man i say if it's getting you off a of heroin um you know go for it like you know and you pick up another habit oh man what you and everyone else who's drinking 200 milligrams of caffeine in the morning you know like there's so much judgment slung around and and so i think in the long run if you're doing a drug that is going to really shorten your longevity um and also like change your brain chemistry so fucking much like especially meth um like even more than heroin like heroin on withdrawals 
you will do some crazy shit that you wouldn't normally do to get heroin. Meth, you'll do that on withdrawals, but you'll also be a fucking maniac while you're on it as well. It's like a whole yeah. different ball game. So <laughs> yeah, you need to uh you need to really consider the longevity and how much it's going to alter you as a person. But also, man, you know, do what it takes to 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 get by. Like, don't let anyone tell you that you're you're less of a person because you you need some sort of fix, whether it's coffee, weed, or fucking whatever, or to get you through the day, man. So that's that's how I feel about all that. But I also want to um um ask you a little bit of brass tacks in terms of um your psychedelic therapy, like and disclaimer, we're both not doctors. This is not advice, we're just sharing our own experiences. Um, because I also think that a lot of times, most of the time advice is bullshit anyway. Like people, they're, they're trying to say that they understand all your life experiences and this is what you should do. Like it's never going to shape out like that. No one's really got the full picture. Like all you can do really is just listen to other people's stories and keep that in mind as you go through your own life, which is similar to advice. But I think it's important to split the hair there. I think there is a distinction. So anyway, what, like, what, how have psychedelics in particular helped you and how has that been, um, you know, like slipped into expounded upon like a metaphysical process for you. And, um, you know, what, like just, you know, I guess the, the, the genuine hard boiled alchemy of it all. Um, yeah, go, go into it in whatever detail you'd like. So psychedelics, that's, uh, they've, they've done a lot for me and, you know, granted I, you know, I started using them when I was a lot younger and it was, um, you know, I, I was using it with more of the, the party mindset, um, in more recent years. So I'll say as a, it's not a braggadocious point, but just as a point of reference with like mushrooms alone, I've eaten hundreds of times um so i have a, i feel like i have a pretty good relationship and conversation going with the uh you know that consciousness so to speak but in terms of psychedelics helping me with um recovery with addiction um and dredging up and helping me deal with traumas um it's God, where'd even start? I know, right? Uh, I feel um, like. well. Firstly, what are you, what are your favorite compounds? Like you, a mushroom guy, an LSD guy. What are the things that you've tried, and what are the therapeutic benefits? Because you've tried even more than I have. I've mostly um, done plenty of my fair share of mushrooms and LSD, and I've tried some um, uh, highest grade salvia and had a full blown out of body experience. <laughs> All right. So I had a, you'll hear a lot of people, you know, say they don't like salvia. Um, when I was like 17, 16, 17, I had a buddy who he ordered a, it was a quarter pound of just dried salvia leaves off the internet. And he, so I got a half ounce of dried leaves and he made his own extract and I got an eighth of extract that he made. It was like, wow. 15 bucks. So damn. Um I got very, very familiar and developed a good relation. Well, I shouldn't say good relationship with Salvia, but I 
got to see a different side of it that's not just the you know kids going in the head shops and they'll get the extract and you know get their mind blown like salvia can be very uh i don't want to say traumatizing but jarring uh, yeah man and i found that for me the you know it's it, it really all came down to the context and intent and the mindset of how i was doing it like because, you know, some, a lot of the extracts that they're making, like, you know, who know who even knows the potency of it. But so, yeah, I've done. Uh, so I've done salvia, done a lot of a lot of mushrooms, LSD, DMT, 2CB. Um, I uh, I recently tried uh, I, I did some some ayahuasca, but it was a very underwhelming experience. Um, that was a whole whole thing with this girl that i was seeing i was kind of telling me about but uh, <laughs> so i've i i have the I'd, I'd say mushrooms are my favorite um out of what i've tried and it's also ketamine i you know some don't consider it a psychedelic it's more of a dissociative um i will say i do quite enjoy some uh uh, some ketamine i've never tried that yet but i'm very much open to it even a i guess you can't technically classify it as a psychedelic but it's an anomaly for whatever fucking reason it you absolutely can put it like philosophically in the same general category yeah it's it's a beast of its own like, like yeah. you said I, it's, I hesitate to say it's a you know a psychedelic but especially with that in terms of uh low dose in um in regards to helping with depression i can you know personally say that there is a lot uh, a lot to that uh there's a lot of lot of potential benefit with that and i think it's really awesome to see that um ketamine clinics are becoming a thing kind of a theory i started thinking about a couple months ago one of the last times i i did it i was doing low dose k with a friend and you know with with any drug there's there's levels to the experience based off of how much you're using but i in my experience i'd say more so with ketamine than anything else that i've done um and if you if you jump too too deep into the level experience too fast it can be again a very jarring experience but in the low in the really low dose um using of it we'll say more of a medicinal sense it, it's I, I find it interesting for me personally because yes it's a dissociative but in low dose use i very few times have i felt so grounded and brought back into my body which again is is ironic because it's a dissociative but i started thinking about it i'm like okay in terms of trauma you know that you know my, my trauma was you know you're unaware of it so a lot of my life, I lived in a dissociated state. So if you live a lot of your life in a dissociated state and then take a dissociative, theoretically, kind of, that seems to me like prescribing Adderall to someone with ADHD. It has this like reverse effect, you know? Oh, that's a fascinating idea. I never thought of that. That's worth uh, chewing on, though. Um, I, yeah, I, I want you to keep going, but I wanted to toss out two quick things. Um, yeah. Gabor Mate makes that point himself. Uh, you reminded me just now that there people talk about fight or flight, but there are three primary or uh, like core Green. essential responses. It's fight, flight, or uh, 
freeze exactly yeah yeah it is uh you know the whole disassociation thing is something that's often overlooked and i think it's you know truly becoming more and more common um and it's something that i can relate to a lot and the other thing i wanted to say is on that note you also reminded me that in my young and dumb days when i was really experimenting um you know like in high school and things this is like after i tried mushrooms once it was kind of hard to come by those so I don't even remember how we found out about this, but um, I bet some people remember you could get uh Carissidin cough and cold. They call them Robo triple C's. Yeah. 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 Triple it, it was, uh, yeah. And you could take Robitussin too. What we would do is oh, yeah. the triple C's were the, uh, um, and it was so dumb, but interestingly enough, the chemical in there is not the issue. It's another one of those fucking weird anomalies. Dextromethorphan DXM is, yeah. It's not something that is actually, they haven't found that it's bad for you at all. It's just this fucking strange disassociative that, especially in high doses, is pretty similar to ketamine. So I've I've tried that. What we did is um, the first time, we did it several times um, uh, when we were like 16, 17. Um, we, we, I, had my, I had my share with, of uh, times with that as well. Sorry to interrupt. No, not at all. Um, we take the, the pills at first, but quickly... This is like the very, I swear to God, not to romanticize it at all either, uh, I truly, but this is the inkling of my alchemy brain that eventually became therapeutic was I figured out that if you crushed up those triple C's and then you let them, you just toss the powder in water, everything else would evaporate. And then you just have the DXM powder at the bottom. So we just eat that. And uh long story short like that's just a little bit about some of my experiences and i haven't tried ketamine but the whole disassociative thing um is something i definitely am familiar with and the whole thing you said just to put a cherry on that of how giving a disassociative to someone that tends to disassociate might be similar to medicating a person with adhd with adderall that's a fucking interesting thought yeah, it's it's been it's one that stuck with me. Like I said, it was a it was a couple months ago that occurred to me because uh, I was with my friend and again we were low dosing it, and I just remember saying to her at one point, I'm like, I feel like so anchored into my body right now. Like it's you know, and it's it's every any time I've done low dose ketamine, like first time I ever tried to uh, try to low dose. I used to live with these crazy um, hippie. They were like, I don't know if you know who the Disco Biscuits are. I think they suck. They're a shitty band, but they Heard have the like, name. Yeah, dude. They <laughs> the, the, their shows are fun because it's a part. It's a giant party. But my roommates were wicked biscuit heads, and they loved <laughs> they loved ketamine. And oh, wow. <laughs> uh, dude, this this um my the the female i was living with it was her and her boyfriend i lived with she used she worked at a strip club and she would bring she would bring dudes home from the strip club that like they're coke dealers and she would tell them her boyfriend was her her brother and then they would be she would just like be be just doing drugs with these these you know strip club dealer dudes all the time and then <laughs> dude i i was uh, doing concrete work at this time so i i was up early in the shower at like five five thirty a.m man that's and the she, black hoodie alchemy life right there man just yeah. fucking in the thick of it i feel oh, you dude, dude yeah there in different ways for sure 
like a wild, wild child, <laughs> yeah. like a wild living experience. But <laughs> he, he comes busting into the into the shower in the bathroom. I'm getting ready for work, and she just like opens the shower curtain, and I'm like, bro, like what the what fuck? She's, she's like, you want to do want to do some K? I'm like, dude, oh I gotta God. go. I gotta go to work. And she's like, just just do a little bit. She's like, it's great for great for for depression. She's like, I promise. She's like, just do a little bump. And I'm like, it, again, it's like 5:30 a.m. I'm standing there naked with my stripper roommate, who's just like bugged out of her mind. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, whatever. So I did it, and I took a little more with me to work. Had one of the best days of work of my life. I remember I got dropped off on a, a job to, uh, again, I was doing concrete at this time. And I just had to dig this, this, uh, it was like an 18 foot trench four four or five feet deep and like wide enough for me to, you know, comfortably be down in there. I remember my boss dropped me off. He left me the radio, dude. I dug this trench out in like two hours, two and a half hours. He comes back. He's like, holy shit. You, you already finished it. I'm Damn. like, well, yeah, it was jamming along, dude. So, um, yeah, I had a great day of work and it's just it's so wild to to consider like something like that can be so productive or if you do a little bit more it can completely just knock you on your ass like no kid <laughs> i've got i've got some wild stories so i'm not going to get into them just to try to avoid glorifying some of these these things but um yeah i feel like there's a lot of potential uh, good good benefits and a lot of potential for healing um various forms of trauma and addiction with ketamine and just again a lot of psychedelics in in general and that's kind of to circle back to where this question started um you know i've had i've actually had a lot of success with using lsd in tandem with trying to so when uh, last october i i had gotten got clean i was i was had been using uh dope again for a few months was going through a really rough couple years um and i i'm gonna uh put a little note next to this i'm not gonna refer to it as heroin because the stuff that's sold is heroin nowadays is not heroin it's all fentanyl now it's all uh analogs of fentanyl um no shit yeah dude it's it's really it's really scary it's really dangerous and on top of that because fentanyl is like um what is it 10 times stronger or 100 times stronger than morphine yeah it's Um, absurd whatever it is it's it's, fucking crazy yeah and then there's something else called car fentanyl which is used on elephants and it's like a hundred or a thousand times stronger than fentanyl um and so so yeah, all the stuff that's you know heroin nowadays is primarily fentanyl, but they're also is becoming more common. Um, they're they're cutting it with this. Um, it's an it's an anesthetic. It's a, a tranquilizer. It's called xylazine, and it's used in uh, you know um, it's used with on horses a lot. I guess um, it's not it's you know even though it's an anesthetic similar to ketamine, it's not uh at all like ketamine and in the context of cutting the fentanyl with it it's it's exponentially more dangerous because one the fentanyl's so strong as is but with the xylazine 
since it's not an opiate or an opioid, but it also uh, depresses your central nervous system and your respiratory system. The stuff they use. Yeah, dude. So the stuff they use to reverse overdoses, Narcan, is not working because you have the fentanyl, which is strong as hell, which the Narcan will have an effect on. But since the xylazine is not an opiate or an opioid, it's doing nothing to you know, pl- plunge your opiate receptors and get your, your breathing going again. So like, do you ever wonder real quick that some of this is just like almost fucking domestic terrorism at this point? Absolutely. Uh, I, I am fairly convinced of that. Honestly, me too. Because, because, all right. Yeah. So a lot of the fentanyl, the, you buy the precursor chemicals come from China. They get sent down to the Sinaloa cartels down in Mexico and yeah, maybe this is, you know, not a popular opinion, but it's coming through, it's coming across the border. Yeah. It's a known fact. And there's even sex of uh, people within the CIA that's, you know, will talk about openly how they believe it's, you know, a d- domestic terrorism. And to me, it, it, you know, it makes, obviously it makes no sense in terms of a, a business to be selling something that's, you know, killing more, more people then you know it's not bringing back customers in the long term but uh it's it's not a good business model it doesn't make any sense but especially in the context of the last few years everything going on just the mass chaos and you know all these um just a lot of uh, a lot of people dying in in various ways um it just seems to me like it's one more um tool in the tool tool belt to take a bunch of people out yeah, but also, um, well said, uh, but I didn't want to derail you about the xylazine either because you were the first person to ever bring this to my attention. I wasn't even aware of it before our conversations. Yeah, mo- most people have no no clue about it at all. Um, I I wasn't even aware of it until maybe maybe two years ago, a year or two ago. I, th- I think I saw about it, something about it in like a documentary, but... Um, so I've had a few experiences where I can't prove that it was in the, um, you know, the batch of dope that I, I was doing. But the the first time I'm pretty certain I ever experienced dope with xylazine in it came to after using. So I I was from the waist down, I was paralyzed. Oh, um, damn. yeah. Like, it, and it wasn't like a, a completely numb paralysis. It was like a like a pins and needles when your foot falls asleep or something. But the most extreme sensation of that in both of my legs all the way down, but with the, like an inability to move them at all. Um, And I was all by my, yeah, I was all by myself. Um, Couldn't, couldn't reach my phone. Didn't know what the fuck was going on. And uh, yeah, it was definitely a a huge panic moment. Yeah. I don't, sorry. I don't want to like, I don't want to, get too graphic with any of this stuff um like the the opiate use and stuff like that but no problem but so yeah the the xylazine thing yeah most people are completely unaware of it and for people especially who are like iv users like thankfully like i i'm very grateful that i never got too deep into iv use um i had my you know i've definitely done it before but i made sure i was never able to um, do it myself because I'm pretty certain I would not be here 
if I was, you know, shooting myself up. Um, Not feel you there. Like I, uh, when I was when I was uh, using again the last year, I was kind of I would say it kind of half jokingly that because uh, when I was using, I would using dope, I would I would freebase it, which is essentially you know smoking it or vaporizing it because. I, again, I would say it half jokingly. I'm like, oh, this is the safest way to use because shit's so strong now. Like, um, you know, back in the day, used to when it was actually like heroin, you dump out two bags, three bags, and smoke that all in one hit. But now with the the, the fentanyl and the xylazine, like you dump a bag out, and, like go to smoke that, like, um, you you can take just a, a portion of a hit of a small, like most, again, I'm sorry if I'm getting too graphic or in detail about, um, the, you know, opiates and, and dope and stuff like that. But a bag of dope is not, it's the quantity of it is it's a very small amount you get. But, um, you know, if you're to sniff the amount, if you're to sniff a bag, like the, the chances of overdosing are far more likely than just, you know, dumping a bag out and, 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 you know, freebasing off of that. But, um, so yeah, I would say it half jokingly, like, oh, this is the safest way to use, but with how strong everything is nowadays, like it's, uh, it's not too far off from the truth. Um, yeah, no kidding. Cause you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to like dump out a bag and like light a little bit and take a hit off something that's like a hundredths of a gram in weight probably and take a hit and, and like feel yourself almost fucking overdose like it's it's an immediate it's, it's it's not like it used to be man and another thing i think about a lot in terms of um you know uh it being a, you know domestic terrorism and just the having you having been in this lived that life in that world for 16 years and having experienced you know actual heroin and stuff like nowadays there's there's a certain like, I, I, for me in my experience at least it's almost like you can feel this uh there's a, a an evil spirit attached to this this chemical you know and i think you and i over the months have kind of you know, touched on the idea of like, you know, drugs as, as a portal or a means of chemical um, gateways. Uh, yeah. 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 A gateway. And it's like, um, you, you know, marijuana. So you understand the, the notion of people who grow, you know, anything, you just create life of any, any, any sense. People who grow marijuana, they say, you talk to your plants, play music for your plants, stuff oh, like yeah. that. You know? So the intent that goes into making, any product really um but in terms of dope you know think of initially like say it is a a, a case of uh, domestic terrorism in some sense initially right off the bat these chemicals are being sent over here with a pretty dark intention not to mention all the hands it's going through in the production assembly line and all the people that are involved in that process that are being forced to be involved in that process. Um, and then, you know, all the way to where, you know, where the drugs get to my hometown, like where I live, Holyoke mass, man, it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty, it's a, <laughs> it's not a, not the greatest of places, but, 
um, you know, where the areas you go to score this shit, there's a lot of poverty, there's a lot of crime, violence, um, and I, I guess where I'm where I'm going with this is, you know, say you grow weed and you put love and good intention into it, you know, it's you you have a good product that's going to serve the the customer or the client well. Now on the polar opposite side of that, if you're putting intentionally like hateful, you know, it's just an ugly, evil process in an ugly, evil world. Um, those those kind of drugs are are in any ways, and I uh, the 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 point I'm trying to make, I guess, is when when using this stuff nowadays more so than ever, it feels like there's like a demonic presence to it there's there's just you let something in to like again you know the drugs as a gateway for the mind like you know once i um give in to the, you know saying yes to you know, okay yeah i'm gonna go pick up some dope um not to you know take any accountability off of myself but it's i've always described it as like um, I'm like relegated to the passenger seat of my own mind. Um, yeah, I feel you. Yeah, dude. And like when, when I still had my cats, like, and I would be using, um, there would be times where like my, my cats would just, I would catch them like just staring at me, but like right above and behind me. And again, it started out kind of like a joke sort of to myself. I'm like, Oh, are you staring at my dope demon? And then after a while, it's like seeing my cats do this repeatedly. Like there was like wide eyed staring at something right, like hovering above me. I'm like, yeah, there's there's something there's some very evil intentions going on with what they're serving up nowadays. Sorry, that's all over the place on that answer. No, that, that very interesting stuff. Um, I, I agree with you as well. Um, I invite anybody listening to go i can't remember the episode number but check out the episode um possession as the uh autonomy of trauma the the whole esoteric notion of demonology and the the alchemical aspect of you know purification and and um uh transmutation and looking at these things more more so from like a chemistry angle than even a good or evil angle per se um it, certainly a more buddhist angle is uh i think a crucial mindset to wrap your head around when um when trying to understand you know how to how to um take the power back from trauma um and it's a it's a whole can of worms. We've touched on it a bit here, uh, you know, in passing in this conversation. But I do think there is something to be said for that. Even just you know, from like a, a skeptic materialist point of view, like there's just there's something uh, unexplainable. There's an inertia of like the psychological physics, if you will. You know, the old adage of the monkey on the back. Um, the you know. I can bring to mind words, esoteric words like tulpa and uh, egregor, and um, these ideas that whether it be just one person's mind or a collective group uh, thinking about something can basically breathe life into a thought form 
um, and sort of virally replicate itself, which sounds pretty out there until you look into the the uh, evolutionary psychology of memetics, which basically is that right there almost. Um, yeah. And then and then uh, it becomes a real head scratcher. Um, and so when you see how like, you know, even if you're just looking at symbols, um, how those symbols can have so much connotation can take on a life of their own. If you say take a symbol like the like the 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 poppy flower, and then you also have some heavy, imp- like super punchy, um, um, psychotropic effects mixed in there. Like, yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of inertia. That, you know, it's just shit that like I don't think that we're fully prepared to unpack from a scientific angle. So I'm just philosophizing a little bit here, but short story long, I think that having a conversation about demonology and drug addiction, if you're not being dogmatic about it, I think it's definitely worth having. It's a, it's a, it's a dark conversation, but you know, equal and opposite reactions. If uh, the more we understand, and I truly believe this, the more we understand about the dark things, the more, even if you don't understand it, the more you have proof that there is an equal and opposite reaction of something good out there that you can access. I truly. Yeah, believe. absolutely, man. And and like you said, even if you don't understand it necessarily, the, the mere self-awareness or awareness of it kind of gives, gives it its own kind of life. Like, uh, you know, for example, you know, be okay. Yes. You know, be starting to become aware of some of, you know, early embedded uh, traumas and stuff like, yeah, just because you become aware of it doesn't solve the issue, you know, doesn't, um, you, you know, if that's only the, the beginning of it, but, you know, without, uh, you don't have any awareness of it, uh, you can't really go, go anywhere with it. Um, Absolutely. And I'll say this too. Um, there was a, there's a great bit that Gabor Mate said about how this is, um, uh, a process it's not an entity i've always kind of had this um it was interesting i don't know if i've quite ever considered it in that punchy of a sentence but my mindset on the whole thing has always been if we want to get down to the brass tacks of something like psychology and demonology i'm glad i thought of this because this is probably a good like cherry on top disclaimer um i think that our habits, our psychological inertia, if you will, if there is, and I do believe to some degree, I don't understand it, but I do believe that there are forces that we don't understand that science could maybe pick up on, probably could, but can't yet. Um, Our habits and psychological inertia will be like blood in the water to a shark or something. And those things, because it's not like your addiction and your trauma are quote unquote demons. Um, but when you really go down the rabbit holes, if you ever care to, you know, any listener out there of like, not just the silly speaking in tongues or like just televangelist exorcisms, but some really weird cases, um, there's a whole lot of them out there. Um, you start to see like, there's, but there's some weird shit going on here. Like, I don't know if I'm totally willing to completely discount the idea of a demon or just the sense of a like a carnivorous apex predator spirit 
You know what I mean? Something just like the lion to our antelope. Like, even if it's not evil, it's something that you you don't want to disco with. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. And and like you're saying, too, with, uh, you know, you you throw out the word demon and a lot of people who are, you know, kind of hypnotized, dogmatic. It's, uh, you know, they have a preconceived image of what they think that is. And I was, you know, I I struggled with that for a long time myself, too. But the last couple years, um, starting to dig deeper into especially the psychological implications of what a demonic, what a demon can be or a demonic manifestation presence, um, you know, uh, again, to to use the you know, uh, buried traumas as an example, like in in a sense, you could look at something like that as a, a demon. That's a part of your, your being that, um, you know, now at this point in my life now, I'm in a process of, you know, for lack of a better term, trying to exercise that demon or these demons. But, um, yeah, when it comes to stuff like that, you know, I, I or just like, religious terms loaded terms in general you know i i try to say to people like a lot like well you know if we're going to talk about god like let's define your terms first or if we're going to talk about demons let's define what what is a demon to you you know i'm Uh, the same way yeah yeah because most people you you know uh you you know like like you're, you're saying too i'm not totally discounting the idea of uh you know when it comes to demons of like that Hollywood trope of, uh, you know, uh, anthropomorphized freaking like decrepit looking scary actual <laughs> entity. But I think, uh, it's more, you, you know, kind of like your, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, there obviously seems, there's obviously stuff going on that we don't understand in higher, higher, lower planes of existence, dimensions. And, yeah. you know, it seems to me like a, a demonic entity or something like that. Like, you know, if we, uh, you know, have, have certain traumas that are being, un, aren't being dealt with and, um, we kind of let it manifest into a depression and get to a point of where you allow yourself to go pick up some dope or something like that um you know maybe there's some higher etheric being or force that you know it is a common idea that's you know this isn't my my idea but that you know for more or less feeds off of our emotions as a as a form of sustenance um hungry ghost that's another uh tie in there that we both forgot about that we're both very familiar with yeah the hungry ghosts yeah, and it's funny too because that's Gabor Mate, name of his book, um, right? Right. In the realm of hungry ghosts, I think that's what it's called. Um, so, but like, I guess with with that one thing, I, you know, when I'm when I'm using and when I'm like really in it, I always used to say like, oh, you know, I love that when I'm when I'm using, it's not just the drugs that I'm addicted to; it's going down to you know these dangerous areas, these you know the ghettos and um, you know, you walk down the wrong street where I live, like you get fucking shot, man. Like seriously, I believe it. Yeah. a couple, uh, a couple months ago, I remember I was walking and I live in a, a, a nicer section of Holyoke. Um, but I was taking a walk one night and like two, three streets over heard a shotgun go off. Damn. Like that's a little too close for comfort. I'm gonna turn around, but 
when I'm using and stuff and I'm in that mindset, I would always say like, I love going down there. I love, you know, going to the most dangerous neighborhood and just talking to, you know, talking to the thugs, talking to the gangbangers, like, which, you know, I like talking to people, but when, when I rationally think about it, I'm like, no, there's no part of me, you know, my actual self that enjoys going down and, you know, being around this, such sorrow and poverty and violence and gang violence and, uh, just a misdirection of human intention. Like there's no part of me that enjoys that, but you know, in terms of like a demonic presence or something that's feeding off of my negativity, something like that would enjoy, uh, you know, such a, such a broken, you know, energy of, you know, to, to be surrounded by like, um, you know, there, there's nothing beautiful or, you know, there's nothing enjoyable about going down copping drugs and then going down some like shady back alley where there's people just, you know, crouch down, like doing their thing, shooting up. And then you go find your space. Like there's nothing good about that. There's, you know, from my rational, like quote unquote, sober stoned mind. Um, I don't want anything to do with that. It breaks my heart. But again, when I allow that, you know, the hungry ghost in, um, you know, any, anything like that, any negativity like that, I feel like, you know, theoretically could provide sustenance to, you know, uh, a demonic entity force or call it whatever you will. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, man, uh, I, I really feel you. Um, yeah, peace to the fiends out there on the avenue, man. Uh, that there, but for the grace of God, go I. You know, <laughs> like, real talk. Like it's it's like the butterfly effect that that's really separates us sometimes. And um, you know, without like maybe this is me like relativizing my own suffering, but you know, without being um, I don't know, like melodramatic here, there's a weird sense of um existential survivor guilt in some ways if you think about things hard enough like i've been thinking about chris mccandless lately uh the and that's a that's an episode that'll do at some point um and the whole debate on how stupid was he how courageous was he for you know uh, to use one of many phrases um he uh and it's just weird to think about and he was both he was both clearly but um um he uh can you imagine and i think that this is such a metaphor for addiction can you imagine being chris mccandless out there and they still debate some of the specifics on how he died but he had his own theories on how he died and it basically amounts to whichever plant it was he was running low on food he wasn't able to cross the 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 river because it got too bad and he was there longer than he thought he would be in the Alaskan wilderness. And he started eating. Yeah. He started eating a different part of a plant, presumably like the roots of an Eskimo potato. Um, with, and like other parts of that plant were edible, but this part was toxic and it basically is a toxin that starves you out. And so, oh. yeah, even if you eat food, you can't digest it anymore. So regardless of the semantics of how he died with what part of what plant, 
that is basically how he died. And he realized in his journals at some point that he had done this and that he was going to die. He was too weak to even make it out on a last attempt. So he was well lucid enough to be out there with his books like Walt Whitman and Leo Tolstoy and uh, all these transcendentalist works. He probably he had like a month left to just slowly die out there and come to terms with it. Um, That's its own kind of hell right there. Yeah, yeah. But the beautiful part of it is at the end of it, he uh, he wrote in his journal about the beauty and acceptance. He took a picture. It was the last picture he took. He was like bone, skin and bones, truly. And he, he took a picture and it said something along the lines of, uh, or I mean, he had a paper in his hand of like, like, don't worry, I've lived a, a good life. Like, I love you all. And he had a smile on his face. And and he graffitied the inside of the bus, the abandoned bus that he died in, and all these beautiful uh, quotes from Whitman and the Transcendentalists. And like, fuck, man, like, what a champion way to go out. Like, you're absolutely fucked. You're absolutely fucked. And you could just blow your brains out right there. But he steeped himself in philosophy and transcendentalism and wrote it out as long as he could. Like, God Dude, damn. That's actually kind of beautiful. I know I just said that's its own kind of hell, but I it I'd is, like, but it turns into something beautiful. Yeah. Hell hell can become heaven, you know? And <laughs> you know, I guess uh, you know, having the time to contemplate. Like, oh, yeah, he knows he's going to die. He, he he fucked up. Like, but, you know, maybe sitting there for that month and having that time to really sit with your thoughts and who knows where your the mind would go and what kind of revelations you would stumble across about yourself. And I think having, you know, as a, as opposed to an abrupt death where you're, you know, uh, quote unquote consciousness awareness, you know, just lights out. You know, uh, I'd say maybe maybe having that time to sit and really contemplate and and steep in it, maybe that um, even though it's its own kind of hell, maybe that is an escape to heaven in a sense. Once you, you know, are released from this world, like having that like that's a deep meditation. Yeah, for sure. There's something very Faustian about it in the sense of. um Chris McCandless had such a big folly at the end there overextending himself out there. And Faust was the doctor that um, felt robbed in his life. So basically summoned demons to, you know, get powers to live beyond his means. And at the end of it um, had a, um, an epiphany of his wrongdoing so thoroughly that not only did it like genuinely save his soul in the long run, but it killed him in the process. And, yeah, the idea of um, salvaging true like grace and salvation, not in just a traditional Christian sense, but in the big picture comparative religious sense, salvaging that out of you know termination, like the end completely, is uh, fucking beautiful and real alchemy right there. So, Chris, I gotta let you go here soon, man. But um, um, I want to give you um a last bit to wrap up anything. You know, um, especially advice for anybody. I know I kind of shit on advice earlier, but like, I mean, yeah, don't take this as like, this is what you should do. Like advice is just, we're just sharing our stories here and, you know, just take it for whatever it is. But I know it does help to get pointed 
um, consideration, you know, if we're not going to use the word advice, I guess, <laughs> but uh, uh, like for people who are going through similar things right now, they're dealing with addiction and they're asking similar spiritual questions or they're struggling with their recovery. Um, what do you have to say to them? Um, well, one thing, one of the philosophies I really try to remind myself of and live by is, um, you know, get, get comfortable being uncomfortable, get comfortable, you know, um, really, I feel we, we have the potential to come to find parts of ourselves and know parts of ourselves um in the darkest you know at the darkest part of the night in the darkest nights of our soul um so you know i know if (laughs) sometimes we'll feel futile but just keep going dude like there's a lot of there's a lot of potential for revelation and understanding and uh in our suffering and especially to go it alone you know i'm not i'm not recommending anybody you know, take the path that I've, I've taken, but, um, you know, don't, don't be so hard on yourself, especially if you're struggling, you know, relapse is part of this process. Um, it's, you know, the layers as Gabor Mate said, um, yeah, you know, practice patience every day, mindfulness, be kind um, to yourself, be kind to yourself, learn to love yourself and, you know, don't, don't, you know, let go of hate, man, just let go of hate learn to forgive, forgive yourself, forgive anyone who may have wronged you in your life because just hate is just way too much, but it's too heavy to carry and you end up hurting yourself more at the end of the day. Yeah. And the more we can make amends with the more potential we have to come to a place of healing and understanding. And, uh, you know, by healing ourselves, you know, hopefully we can maybe spread some hope to some other people. And, uh, live to live to fight another day yeah amen man i don't know what happens after we die you know if nothing happens that that's all right with me Uh, i do think something happens and i'm inclined to think there's some sort of reincarnation at play and uh if anything happens at all um i truly think if there's one takeaway from so much comparative religious philosophy there had how do i put it existential suffering with dignity and grace has got to count for a whole hell of a lot in the afterlife. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And, you know, and in some of the darkest times when you feel like you want to give up, which there's, you know, there's been plenty of times where I was convinced I I couldn't, couldn't go on anymore. Um, But there's, there's something in my, my, the deepest core, my deepest self that always, just always like is screaming at me in those moments, like the price you're going to pay. If you, if you cut this gift, you've been given of a life short, the price you're going to pay is a lot heavier than what you're feeling right now. So, um, I feel you, man. Yeah, dude. I, you know, I don't know what happens after we die either, but I do think there's a lot. I'm almost certain there's, there's a lot more. Um, and, uh, you know, can't prove that, but, that thought in itself and feeling like there's more purpose to this gives me strength to want to keep pushing on even in the hardest of moments. Amen, brother. Well, we've had fellow black hoodie alchemist, Chris Fiato here with me today. Um, It's been a long time coming. 
Yeah, yeah. We'll do this again before too long, most certainly. Um, This is a a real raw conversation in the best of ways, and I'm really glad we could have it. I I have a strong feeling that the uh the the fellow heads out there the black hoodie alchemists are gonna are gonna really dig this one and uh yeah fucking man oh yeah yeah i'm glad i i didn't forget this because i want to uh you know whoever wants to link up with chris and follow up with him um definitely um put your you know your like your instagram or your youtube uh where can people find you buddy yeah so you can find me uh i have i'm on instagram you can find me there odd combo um and youtube i have thrive v that's for the largest amount of my content is which uh you know a lot of mo- mostly music um some random ramblings th- you know thoughtful talks some st- just stupid ramblings some random sketch stuff uh chris fiato odd combo at youtube and it's f-i-a-t-o and yo kudos to you 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 pronounced my my last name right for some reason a lot of people <laughs> have a hard time with the fiato 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 come on man so yeah it's only um, like it's, it's not even that many letters come on i, I know <laughs> five. give you five letters to work with and you fucked it up yeah jesus <laughs> but yeah no so in instagram um i'm on facebook too christopher fiato um feel free to yeah anyone feel free to reach out to me please um especially if you want to if anyone needs someone to talk to um in terms of addiction what you know i ain't no professional but um i've got the expert amount of hours invested into a life of of uh addiction and walking the the path less traveled so i'm always happy to talk and make some new friends well thanks again for coming on man um thank you everybody for listening don't forget this has been black hoodie alchemy here with uh chris fiato i'm your host anthony tyler uh here on the fringe fm Uh, Smoke weed and God bless. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's been a long time coming, still haven't arrived. Thoughts, love, sacrifice, over madness and pride. And it's hard to let go, you keep the magic alive. Till you outgrow your old self and cast it aside. Don't remorse over the past, I'm happy you died. Though my time for atonement kept passing me by. Tried to explain my actions and rationalize, but never had an answer when my love was asking me why. It's the same now. From an ever-pressing rain cloud And the way I earn a living and neglect my brain child But I made it out by some strange luck Used to blow lines and fuck till the sun came up Between thighs that were foreign to me Twisting and turning, broke promises And had to live with the burden in the grips of the serpent trying to breathe Felt my only way out was the line to see She keeps asking me why If you knew my past, you know the present, that's my only reply Still tripping over someone that I let slip by And I've grown to the task to try, she keeps asking me Why the long face, every day you grow colder Every question is answered with the cold shoulder It's like I can't help but give in the knees Then I slowly lose interest and leave, she keeps asking Yeah the same question to God Left a part of life lessons like the rest of the mob It's old seven, some prophesize the end soon come With the onslaught of violence, many men grew numb I lost one of my people to the edge of a knife A blade cut his throat and prematurely ended his life But he proved himself to be a loyal friend of the end And got taken from this world for defending his kin These are strange times indeed 
Self-medicating in an attempt to try and put my mind at ease We gave no thought to the repercussions at first Now we're witnessing the whole-scale destruction of Earth Tax dollars fund blood-stained army fatigues And our politicians feed off of carnage and greed The serpent tightens its grip, it's getting harder to breathe I look to the heavens for answers and want to believe I keep asking them, why? What's the purpose behind this? We never seem to get a reply Still you can't lose faith when you look to the sky I haven't grown too bitter to try I keep asking him Why the homie have to lose his life? Why do so many suffer trying to do what's right? And the last for his fate It's tragic how it often ends We lost touch with the God within I keep asking him This in the conflict has helped me perfect my artistry The God of me's fatherly It's hard to neglect that part of me Started to see the stars and galaxies run through my arteries And understand that the state of the world ain't how it ought to be Tend to motion and party prone to debauchery The only thing stopping me from profiting off is probably paranoia's got me feeling like someone's always watching me Don't want to be property of the state to have to cop a plea Every month or so I see the P.O. For getting caught up with liquid O.C. and C.O. Little does he know I still re-up and unload But give him the impression everything is under control Can't shake the illusion that I'm living it up In spite of everyone saying I should give the shit up In the belly of the beast, in the pit of his gut Swallowed whole by the serpent, not giving a fuck They keep asking me Man, I'm in too deep, I gotta find another way to get by From the beginning, I already knew the stakes were high Now I know I gotta break my ties and keep asking me Why the law face, every day you grow colder Every question is answered with the cold shoulder Every attempt to quit the life is in vain And everybody says that can you change, they keep telling me